A new year, time for new growth. Grow your education and skills with Herzing University. Our online behavioral health programs fit your schedule and time. From an eight-month diploma program in health and human services to a 36-month bachelor's in psychology. Grow your behavioral health career with us wherever you are in your education. Your future starts now at Herzing University. Visit us online at herzing.edu or text HEALTH to 85109. Online at herzing.edu or text HEALTH to 85109. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, Tommy, Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Can you believe that it's 2022? I cannot believe it's already 2022. And what are we talking about today? You know, we're talking about the fact that if there was only one more two in the 2022, it'd be so much easier when writing checks. Do you write <laughs> checks at all? I don't know if I know what that means. <laughs> That's what I was afraid of. Um, we're talking about the uh, top 15 missed or golden opportunities that car makers just let slide for some reason. Yeah, and there could be a good reason, there could be a bad reason, but there's a reason and we think that they're, they're pretty big missed opportunities. Yeah, yeah, so uh, sit back, relax, uh, keep driving if you're driving because we're about to give you, uh, I think, an hour's worth of entertainment. But we're also going to be talking about uh, the news, right? Yeah, we're talking about the news of the week and I think you have another Roman's rant. I get to do a rant? Uh, if you want to. I want to do a rant. All right, I'll do a rant because... Well, they're fun. All right, so uh, how do you want to start with the news? Yeah, we can start with the news of what's happened this past week. So Tesla has recalled 475,000 cars for defective backup camera wiring. Yeah, and also for a defective hood latch. Did you know that? I did not know that. Yeah, it was also a defective hood latch uh, that could open while you're driving. That is not a good thing, especially since it's the front they're talking about. Well, so apparently with the um, the backup camera, yep. the opening and the closing of the trunk will cause the uh, the cabling or the wiring to um, start to essentially fall apart. And then you have an intermittent backup camera and then it fails altogether. Yeah, the front one's a little bit more interesting because that one can actually pop open or not fully close while driving, which would make it very hard to drive indeed without being able to see what's ahead of you. Yes, that is not an ideal <laughs> visual <laughs> no, aid. it's not. And you know what? I mean, look... Uh, Automakers have been doing um, recalls forever, uh, so it's not unusual that Tesla finally got hit by one of these large recalls. Uh, but, uh, you know, uh, it's part of the kind of the game in the automotive world. And I did want to make, mention one more thing. Uh, for all of you guys who have sent us emails and posted comments, and I thought of this because our Tesla facility, actually half of it burned down, uh, we did want to let you know that everybody on the team is safe and sound. Uh, we're here in Boulder, Colorado, and if you've been watching the news, you probably know that we were hit by uh, some pretty uh, devastating uh, fires last week. Uh, Andre and I were driving in from Longmont, uh, and uh, we went up over the overpass, and all of a sudden we saw this incredible plume of smoke, um, and that's how we found out that uh, kind of the, the western part of Boulder County was on fire. Yep, so our thoughts and prayers go out to the people that lost homes and properties, um, and also a, a huge thank you to the first responders who uh, fought tirelessly to keep the blaze under control. It was a real tragedy. Yeah, uh, they're saying over a 1,000 
structures. You know, Reed Homes may have been lost. Uh, we did donate, uh, hopefully, some money to help out our uh, fellow Boulderites. Uh, and if you want to, uh, go to our community page on truck or on car, and there'll be a link to where we donated money. Anyway, so thank you all for your outpouring of concern. I'm just touched and grateful that you care so much about the team. It just uh, says a lot about uh, the fact that we've got the best uh, readers, viewers, and listeners out there. So when we start talking about the top 15 automotive missed opportunities, I think the first one we have to discuss, number 15, which is a clear, obvious choice, is the lack of the Suzuki Jimny being brought into the States. Yeah, you know, so what happened here in America, Tom, you know this, is Suzuki was here for a long time, and then they decided to build a car and name it the Mighty Wind or something, the Kazachi. <laughs> the Kazashi, yes. Is, is that the... Japanese for like 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 uh, like huge wind or or mystic wind or something? I have no clue. You know what it is in car world? What? It's it's the Japanese version of the Jetta. That's what that was. <laughs> I don't. Is it really supposed to mean mighty wind? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kazashi. It means like some kind of mystical wind or something. Sounds like an extreme fart. Oh, like a hurricane. It's like hurricane force winds or something like that. Anyway, if you guys know and you speak uh, Japanese, let us know in the comments below. But yeah, it was crazy, dude. Uh, they brought in this uh, Japanese Jetta, uh, and then they were way ahead of the game, right? They had the SX4, which we tested, which was this, you know. Really cool little small, uh, like compact crossover that was four wheel drive long before the Renegade, long before you know a lot of a lot of the the in cars. Uh, and then because of various reasons, they pulled out of the market. And then they decided to sell this really cool like old school Jeep Wrangler in Europe, right, and the rest of the world called the Jimny, which we never got. Uh, and I think if they had imported that instead of Kazashi, uh, you know, we'd be all rolling in Suzukis. <laughs> well, we did get a version of the Jimny. We did. Oh, yeah, we sure did. The sidekick? Before that. Uh, the Samurai? The Samurai. Yes, yeah, so if you remember in the 1980s, this was a car you owned. I did own the Samurai. We, we, we owned both the Samurai and the sidekick. Yeah. yeah. You want to tell your, your Samurai story when you bought it and you drove it and you broke the engine? <sighs> yeah, so <laughs> when they started selling Samurais here in America, uh, they only sold them in like four places, like California... And the closest place to me, and I was in Chicago at the time, was Atlanta, right? Mm. Uh, and so they were very inexpensive. I want to say they were like $7,000 at the time, which in 1980s money was, you know, not a lot. Uh, and so I decided to uh, fly down to Atlanta and drive it up to Chicago. And that's about a 1,200-mile uh, drive. Uh, and I didn't know, Tommy, that apparently you're supposed to change the way that you drive when braking in a car. Did you know that? <laughs> I did know that, but... Um, I didn't know that at the time. Yes, driving steady state for hours on end in your brand new Suzuki. Yeah, like like 15 hours between <laughs> 55 and 60 miles an hour is not a good thing because no. what it does is it wears the engine in at that speed. So what ended up happening was the Suzuki ran brilliantly like a top between 55 and 65 miles an hour, uh -huh. and they're not so good anywhere else. Didn't you get rid of that car because the ride was so bad? Yeah, so short wheelbase. Uh, uh, I'll tell you another story about the Suzuki. So I, w I, was, I went to graduate school for journalism in Washington, D.C. Uh, and um, there's a guy, and I met Tom recently at the Chicago Auto Show. So if you're listening to this, Tom, I hope you don't mind me telling the story uh, because we got into a major fight about it. Calling this guy out from 30 years ago <laughs> Yeah, here. Tom, yeah. He's still a reporter in Chicago. So so me and Tom went to broadcast journalism school, uh, and uh, uh, I didn't have a place to stay, but I decided to take the Suzuki as my you know my, my year in Washington, D.C. car. Uh, so I loaded up with stuff, and as I was leaving, Tom's like, hey, can you take this toaster oven for me to D.C.? Because I was driving. I'm like, no problem, Tom. I'll take the toaster oven. And I keep in mind this toaster oven was like, $25, right? 
Right? Well, which back in the 80s was a lot of money. And, and it was still like $25 in 80s money. <laughs> no, $25 in 1984. <laughs> like, like it was like $26 today. That's probably what? With inflation, three, $4,000 today? It, it was like, it was like I, I don't know, Tom. Maybe you remember. But, you know, it was like the difference between a Kmart back then, toaster oven, and a Walmart. You know, they're, they're like the same thing. Anyway, so I load up the toaster oven. I load up all my stuff. I'm going down to D.C. I have no place where to live. And I get a call from another friend who's like, hey, dude, you want to live on a boat? And I'm like, A boat? What do you mean? And uh, he had found a place to rent on uh, Main Street in D.C., and that's M-A-I-N-E, not M-A, M-A, uh, how do you spell Main, the state, M-A? M-A-I-N-E. Yeah, M-A-I-N-E, not yeah. M-A, yeah, not, you know, yeah, not, not Main Street, but the State Street, which is southwest, which is not a great part of D.C., at least wasn't back then. Uh, and the way that it worked was there was a marina there, and he had found, like, this 45-foot sailboat. It had a front berth and a rear berth and a galley in between, uh, and we each would have one of the, one of the berths, uh, and we would rent it in the middle of winter. And did you know, Tommy, that sailboats don't have heaters? You know, I did not really take that into consideration. That's, that's another thing I, I did not know <laughs> back in the day. I guess that checks out. And I did not know that Southwest was, you know, a, 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 not a grand place to live in D.C. Everything was Northwest, right? So so I, I get there, uh, and the marina was pretty cool. So, like, access to the marina was all fenced off, but there was a parking lot. Um, so you had, to have like, a passcode, and it was, you know, it was kind of hard to get in there. And I was wondering, mm, that's a lot of, like, uh, fencing for, you know, a waterfront. Um, get there, unload my stuff, uh, and the Suzuki had a soft top, right? Oh, yeah. And, and the way the soft top worked, it, it had these little, like, cleats, right, that you would just unsnap. They're little, like, little buttons. Yeah, little yeah. buttons. They click, 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 and then you turn them and unsnap them so you could take it down real easily, sure. right? But I, I did not bring the toaster oven into the boat because I thought I would see Tom the next day. I would just give it to him, right, at, at, the, <laughs> at the offices, which, were our, uh, which was our classroom. Okay. Um, so I left it overnight. Um, and come back the next morning only to find that the toaster oven had been stolen. No. Yeah. Somebody stole a $25 Kmart toaster oven. Wow. But here's the kicker, Tommy. Guess how they stole it? By unsnapping the top? No, by cutting my top. Oh, bummer. Yeah, and the top... Back in those days, was expensive. I want to say it was like five hundred dollars. Was it white? Did you have a white? It top? It was a white top. Yeah. yeah, and so they slashed the top, even though they could have just reached down and unsnapped it and taken the toaster oven. <laughs> yeah. They, so I go to Tom, and this is where the controversy comes in. And you can see how this is. And let me know who was right in this situation, because to this day we we still haven't so- sorted it out fully. So uh, you know, I go to him and I say, "Hey, Tom, sorry, I left it in the." Samurai, it was stolen, and my top was cut to get to your toaster oven. And instead of him saying, oh, I'm sorry to hear that, you know, do I owe you any money for the top? He said, well, you owe me 25 bucks to the toaster oven. <laughs> and I was like, dude, I did you a favor, and the favor cost me $500, and now you want me to pay you $25 for the toaster oven. And so we got into a big thing about it, and it was never, I never paid him, and I think he, he held a grudge. Uh, and I always felt like he owed me money, and then he felt like I owed him money. And it was one of those, like, Dear Abby kind of moments that we never actually resolved. How would you resolve that? Who well, was in the right there? First of all, I think that he probably didn't owe you any money for the top. Because the responsibility of keeping the toaster oven secure... That's what he said. ...fell within your hands. Yes. You were holding the goods. Yes. And you were not responsible with their location. However... I also don't think that you should owe him anything. I think that's extremely ridiculous, especially considering the financial hit you took from the soft top break-in. I would call it a net zero. You certainly lost out more than he did, uh, but I certainly wouldn't go back at you and say you owe me a toaster oven. Yeah, that's you know what, what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I can see it. You know, 
30 years later, I could see it from both uh, perspectives. Uh, but, you know, it did cost me a lot because you can't then, it was in the middle of winter and it does snow in D.C. And the top was pretty badly cut, so I had to immediately spend $500 to replace the top. Right, because otherwise it was going to—it was a brand new car. It would have snowed and rained into the into the Suzuki. So, in regards to the toaster oven, was it a brand new toaster oven? Was it was it, a brand new. Was his, it new in box? It was. It was a new in box. His mom box. had his mom, if I recall, had bought him a new toaster oven mm, for that, his. That does change the dynamic a little. <laughs> for his housewarming. I mean, in what DC. I if I if if what I would have done if I were you would be to take it out of the dot box yeah. and then break it in with the toaster strudel. And then you can leave it in the car because no one wants a used toaster oven. But the new toaster oven, that was that was a key mistake in the story. Well, how do you fence a toaster oven, for God's sakes? Well, what do you mean, how do you fence it? Well, look, I mean, like, people who are stealing toaster ovens, it's not like some criminal's like, mm, you know what, my toaster oven broke this morning and I can't make a waffle. So <laughs> what? what I need to do is go find one. Oh, look, there's a brand new one in that Suzuki. Hey, that is a hot commodity if you live in a toaster oven Drought area. I'm sure there's areas this, where this, they don't have toaster ovens. This was like this. This was like in the in the hotbed of uh, you know there was a huge crack uh, epidemic going on in the 80s, well, right? Well, there's your and answer. And I figure the people who steal <laughs> these things would probably fence them so that they could what have do you mean money. By fence them. Can you sell explain them? That? Sell them. Oh, for is that, money. Is that like a 1980s term? But yeah, fencing them. Yeah, like you take whatever you steal <laughs> and then you give it to a fence, which is somebody who pays you cash and then you know pays you a dollar on when you say for fence, every ten dollars it's worth, right? Is there like like a fence you go? There's no, there's like no a, fence. No, it's worth like it's. Are you making up words right now? I've never no. heard of fence a toaster. No, oven. no, no. It gives you like, I'm gonna have to urban dictionary this one. It gives you a dollar for every ten dollars <laughs> it's worth, and then you take that money and do whatever you do with it. But so there's like I, I didn't think that a, a new toaster oven had any value when in the secondhand stolen toaster oven market. Now this term fence is this specific to toaster ovens? Or no, you like fence like you like steal jewelry and then you need a fence who who somehow, you know, converts that jewelry into cash. So the fence is not is not like an object used to keep the dog in. No. The fence is used No, to it could be you know a, fen- a typical fence would be like a dishonest pawnbroker. Oh, wow, I learned a new word today. Right, where they would they would go uh, you'd be like, "Hey, I need to pawn this jewelry or in this case a toaster oven." Nudge, nudge, wink, wink, it's mine. Uh, and then they would give you cash for it, and you'd never come back to unpawn it, and they would sell it, and mm. then they would make more money. Anyway, uh, I, I don't know. Sorry, Tom, I, I told the story. Uh, you know, <laughs> I think to this day it's unresolved. Now. Uh, We're going to prob- get the full internet the, forum yeah, the, to see the, who's the problem in the right now, here. of course, is if, if, if he gets a hold of this story, he may want today's value in dollars. How much How much is that today? How much is $25? $25 in 1980s money? Yeah, how much is that At worth least three or $4,000. <laughs> That's what I'm afraid of. Back here. Yeah. Back in the day, you could buy a with house all, for like ninety dollars. With so. all the hyperinflation happening, it might, <laughs> might be with three or four thousand. So, um, the good news is, yeah. if Tom does listen to this, he might have some folks in the comment section. If you're watching this on YouTube, yeah, he's, he's a reporter. Last time I saw him, which was like four years ago, he was still a reporter. I think for Channel Seven News in Chicago or Channel Nine News, one of those two. He's, he's been I'm tracking down that toaster name. oven for thirty yeah, some years. Yeah, yeah. Do you know his last name? I do, but I'm not using. Okay. <laughs> Well, anyways, the new Suzuki Jimny, nothing about toaster ovens, is a phenomenal little off-roader. Unfortunately, Suzuki isn't around here in the U.S. anymore. And do you really think that this would pass crash safety here in the States? No, but it would sell like hotcakes. Didn't which... they? Hold up. I may have some a hot take here. Yep. Toaster oven hot take. Okay. Didn't, 
Didn't the Suzuki Jimny have a stop sale in Europe for a year because it wouldn't pass emissions? Isn't there like some big stink about how it's not re reading the Euro that sounds, end cap? That, that, that does sound familiar, Tommy. Mm. Uh, I'm just saying, instead of the hot wind or whatever the hell that Kazashi was, if they had imported the, the hot wind, that sounds like <laughs> something you made last night on the couch. <laughs> oh, and then probably blamed it on the dog. Oh, I know that. That dog does fart a lot. <laughs> Plays bad dog. Anyway, uh, it would have you know it would have been much better for Suzuki, and we could still have cool off roaders. Uh, missed opportunity. I was really sad to see Suzuki go, uh, and I'm really jealous of like all of you guys in the rest of the world to get these really cool cars. And you know, it could be one of those like things where, you know, it's better to to want than to have. Because I'm sure like if you've had a Jimny, you might be like, hey, it's not as great as you think it is. Uh, but to us from over on this side of the pond, it looks really cool. So moving on to a vehicle where a toaster oven was stolen from to a toaster oven that's well integrated the Volkswagen California. Now this is a huge missed opportunity. I think it was Andre or Nathan. They spent a night Both together. Both of them, yeah. They, they slept together. <laughs> they didn't sleep together. They slept in a Volkswagen. For those of you who don't know, it's like a really cool factory RV. It's so cool. It's got the pop-up, like an old Westphalia that we got here in the States. It's got like the little kitchenette and the tables. And, yeah, I remember and we saw them in Europe and, and Volkswagen, I think, was afraid that they couldn't like import them without having to charge a lot of money. And to me, you know, like that Storyteller van that we reviewed last year, right, where mm. we went to Moab, right, that was a $200,000 Mercedes Sprinter 4x4. And I think easily these little California vans, which were synchro, so they were 4x4 as well, right, they could have sold them for easily at least 90, 95,000 people would have bought them like hotcakes. There's a there's like a two-year wait for, for a, a, a 4x4 retrofitted or refitted off-roady, overlandy, yeah. you know, Mercedes Sprinter. Right Completely now. right. Yeah, and when you buy a Sprinter, right? So you buy the Sprinter from a company that takes basically an empty Sprinter, yep. and then a lot of the times, unfortunately, they they slap them together with tin foil and bubble gum, yep. and you end up with these camper conversions that are just so badly made. Probably put Tom's toaster oven in it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that's that's where the toaster oven went. Um, but the Volkswagen California ground-up Volkswagen camper, everything's Beautiful. Volkswagen. Beautiful. Really cool too, like two-tone, yeah. like a red and the white one. And then you have all these people who, you know, well, you can see the used market in, like, you know, the the, the generation that was brought here, right? Yeah, the old 1980s Westies now yeah. are so expensive. Exactly. But Even the 1960s are incredibly expensive. I do wonder about the dreaded two words. What's that, Tommy? Chicken tax. Yeah. Yeah, so the, what Volkswagen uh, was afraid of and is always afraid of is the fact that they're this is a I don't go into the story, but it's a long story. It involves but, chickens and Reagan and yeah, Subaru but, brats. Yeah, but like before, then like in the '60s, you know, the Europeans slapped a tax on our chickens when we were exporting them to Europe, and so we decided to get back at them uh, by putting I think it's a 25% import duty on every uh, every light truck that they import. So this would classify it as a light truck, not a car, right? Or a commercial truck. Yep. Uh, and so the way that Volkswagen could have gotten around it is the same way that Mercedes did it with their Sprinter 4x4s. And for a long time, what, what Mercedes did was they would build the uh, Sprinters here, but really what they would do is they would build them in Germany. They would ship them to a company that outsourced the disassembly of the Sprinters, Tommy. Okay. <laughs> and they would take them apart, put them in two crates, oh my gosh. then ship them to the factory in Charlotte where the factory, and I'm doing air quotes here, would then put them back together again or build them. And that's the way they got around. And it was still cheaper to actually take, you know, build them in Germany, take them apart, put them in two crates, put them back together in America than to pay the import duty on the chicken tax. 
Well, do you remember how Ford got around the chicken tax? This yes, was, they didn't. They got, they got fined. They, took, they, they took, were taking the transit connects. And they were and, putting seats in them. And they were putting seats in them to ship them over. Calling and, them passenger cars. And then when they were here, they would take the seats and fly them back to Europe. So they would remove the seats back out and then plop them back in. And I think it, they were built in like Slovakia or something. Yeah, they got, they, got, they got fined like some huge amount in hundreds of millions. <laughs> I just want to – in my brain, I, I see like some dude – here in um, Dearborn, right uh, next to a Sprinter van, and then there's this giant pile of like seats. Oh, transit! <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Giant pile, sorry, giant, transit giant pile of seats next to him, where he just takes it out, throws it on the pile, and gets the next that's one. Probably how it went, actually. <laughs> I think that's probably not far off. <laughs> Jim over there was a seat removal guy. That's really funny. So yeah, but the Volkswagen California, it would have been a massive success with a huge explosion of like van life and overlanding. They should have brought it over, even if it was 120 grand with the premium like quality that it was, I think they would have sold yeah, everyone they built. The, the thing with Volkswagen over the last, like, you know, almost dozen years we've been doing this is everything is very um, centralized in Wolfsburg, right? That's Volkswagen's headquarters. And so it seems to me like they make all the decisions there uh, and that the people here have some input, but at, at the end of the day, Wolfsburg makes the decision. And that's a, it's very far from, like, California to Wolfsburg. And sometimes the decisions are made based on, like, what Europeans think about versus what Americans think about. I think Europeans have a hard time getting their like brain around just how crazy overlanding is here because they don't have like there's no BLM land in Europe, right? If you want to go camping, you, you can't just like in the UK or anywhere in you know most of Europe, you just can't like you know pull into a forested area and camp here. It's no problem. So this is kind of a fun little trivia fact here. Did you know Volkswagen has an original part number? One nine nine three nine eight five hundred A. No, no. <laughs> Would you know what part number one nine nine three nine eight five hundred A is? I know I, I, that sound I hear is people googling it. Yeah, they are googling it, but what you can't Google it. You what don't is, have your phone on you. What do you think it is? I don't know what is it. It is the official Volkswagen Currywurst. Oh yeah, yeah, that's right. Volkswagen has their own sausage line in yes. Wolfsburg. Yum. So if you want to, yep. Yeah, if you want a, a Volkswagen sausage, now you know the part number. So should we move on to number 13? Do you want a story about road first? Well, I mean, <laughs> it's up to you. We're already 20 minutes in, and we're, we're so number I, 13. I, so I used to go to the Detroit Auto Show when it was still a thing. Uh, and as a treat at the end of the show, I would go. So Volkswagen would fly in the Rotwurst from, uh, from uh, Wolfsburg, and then Audi would fly in the Weisswurst, the white wurst, right? The white Wait, sausage. You're telling me they would fly in sausages? They would, yeah. yeah. And, for and, an auto show? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, then, <laughs> and they had like a little like, you know, behind the scenes private area where if you were allowed to go in, you could have either some Rotwurst or Weisswurst, depending on what stand you were in, with some real German pretzels, like flown in from Germany and with some real Weiss beer. Yep. And so that was always a treat that I would treat myself at the end of a very two busy days in Detroit. I would, I would you know, beg or, or sneak in or somehow get behind the red carpet uh, into the VIP area of those two areas and then enjoy a you know a rot or vice versa depending on what i was feeling like so detroit doesn't have adequate sausages no they have very good german food but these were apparently flown in because volkswagen has their own uh airbus oh that's right yeah i wonder if any of this has changed since dieselgate yeah this was under uh vinterkorn yeah it sounded a little extravagant for modern i think think nowadays (laughs) flying in your own beer pretzels and and versed might be frowned upon at the last volkswagen event i went on they gave me socks yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can you can you imagine what the environmentalists would say 
if you're flying in, not just people, but sausage. Well, did you know this, actually? This is interesting. <laughs> how, much, how much carbon you're using when, to fly in some white sausage? When we went on the GTI and yeah. Gulf R trip, yeah. they actually bought us carbon offsets to offset our travel. Um, emissions from the plane. That was interesting. How many trees do you think you'd have to plant to offset, like bringing in, let's say, you know, I don't know, 50 I, pounds of red I don't red think worst. sausages are that, that heavy. <laughs> you can have a lot of sausage in a fairly small carry-on. Yeah. Um, all right. Pretzel, pretzels are very light, too. Yeah, pretzels are light, too. Yeah. So moving into number 13 on our automotive missed opportunities is the Mazda MX-30. Now, this is a small electric Mazda crossover. I went and drove it, and it's a lovely car to drive. It looks pretty cool. It's got cork on the inside. Do you know that? You know why it's got cork? Because it's cheap. <laughs> no, cork is really expensive. Because people, people are recycling it from all nope. their New Year's champagne. Mazda was originally a cork manufacturer. I did not know that. Yeah. You were full of interesting details. It's pretty cool, isn't yeah. it? Um, anyways, so uh, Mazda MX-30, great little car with one glaring flaw. It's got 100 miles of range, and it starts at like $35,000. Yeah, in the news, like what, we didn't talk about this, but in the news, is that a good broadcast voice? Yep. In today's news, um, the um, one of the executives in Canada actually uh, said that or admitted that basically it's a great car if you have another car, <laughs> like one that you can like do your road trip. Buy our car if you first buy a different car. <laughs> exactly. I think he meant like get a CX-5 and then throw in an MX-30. Yeah, not <laughs> not a great thing. Now, the the missed opportunity is so abroad you can get this car with a little range extender. Which is a gasoline engine that makes yeah, electricity. You know, I recently heard that that was supposed to be available with that little uh, rotor range extender. Yeah. But those haven't even come to Europe yet. I think they are. No, I, think I, I, heard, I heard they were supposed to come, they were definitely supposed to come to Europe, and then they took it away for America. But I heard that they're even unobtainable right now in Europe with the range extender. Hmm, that's are you Googling it furiously? No, I, um, I, didn't, I didn't know that because I've heard that abroad you can get it with the range extender. But maybe that's... Uh, I, I heard you're supposed to be able to, but somehow Mazda even pulled the plug on the rotary. And let's face it, the problem with rotaries is while they're way cool, uh, they were invented by a hell of a Nazi. Do you know that? The well, guy who invented rotary, people, people often forget that. He was like a card-carrying, Adolf Hitler-loving, hardcore Nazi. That's, that's a shame. But, but the other problem with it is, that's a stupid aside, is that they're very hard to keep clean in terms of making them clean, right? They, mm. they uh, burn a lot of oil, uh, and they're one of the reasons that you don't see rotaries right now is that they're just very dirty engines. So if they brought the... Inherently so. If they brought the rotary over, though, it would fix the car's biggest issue, which is the range. Because then you could drive it on electricity, mm. and when the battery died... You could fill it up with gasoline and drive it yeah, with gasoline. I mean, the, auto, the, the skeptical automotive journalist, right, says to me they basically recreated an i3 from like eight years ago. But it's better. <laughs> it's the same thing. No, it isn't the it's same got, it's thing. It's got the same doors even, right? It's got those suicide doors just like the i3. It's got cork in it, though. <laughs> okay. All right. They've recreated the i3 with cork. I like it a lot, actually. It's bigger than the i3, so it's more usable for sure. Really? Yeah. Is oh, it yeah. really bigger? The i3 oh. is huge inside. The, the i3 is a toaster. Have you seen the i3 toaster? And, and the i3 is rear-wheel drive. Is this front-wheel drive? This or? is front-wheel drive, uh, yeah. i3... I love the i3, but it's a little bit of a toaster from right. the exterior. So moving on to number 12, the Generation 2 Nissan Leaf. So this was, of course, Nissan's electric car. It's the current generation Nissan Leaf. And the big missed opportunity here is they should have given it water-cooled batteries because air-cooled batteries, they're just 
bad. <laughs> They're just not very good. They get too hot, they get too cold, they don't work very well when it's hot or cold, um, they overheat when they're charging, and then they lose range over time as they start to degrade quickly. They should have given it water-cooled batteries or liquid-cooled batteries. Yeah, I kind of feel like, you know, Nissan under, um, what, was the, what was the previous CEO, the guy Gone. who, yeah, under Gone, did something that, that is unforgivable in my mind at least, and that is over-promise and underperform, specifically with the Leaf, right? I remember going once again to the Detroit Auto Show and they were talking about the car of the future and then how incredibly life-changing the Leaf would be. Uh, and then the thing came out and it was one, hideous. Sorry, Nissan, the thing is just not a good-looking car. And number two, it had like 60 miles of range. And then they had this whole marketing scheme in place where they said, the average American drives only 30 miles a day to work. So 60 miles is plenty, forgetting that, of course, people need to do things like pick up their kids and get their dry cleaning uh, and that they get range anxiety. Uh, and with only 60 miles of range, it's just almost silly. Especially when you could buy a car for much less with a lot more. Well, the good news is the second gen Leaf has over 200 miles of range, depending on the model. It's still ugly. It's not ugly. It's ugly. I mean, it's it's not a Jaguar E type, but it's not a bad I mean, looking I mean, car. Look, you want the car to be like the Jetsons car. You want it to be the right. That's what Tesla's magic sauce is, right? Not only does it drive like the future, it looks like the future. The Leaf looks like, oh my, like you know, uh, like like an economy car uh, that. Uh, um, got overexcited uh, thinking that it was the future. Some of us like boring cars, though. You know, if you don't have much of a personality like me, then it's nice driving around in a little innocuous car. I think the design is You know is what fine. the coolest thing about the Leaf was? Um, it, it did have uh, those little Leafs that would show up on the... No, the but you're close. The coolest thing was in the navigation, it had this little circle that would show you... I thought that was really cool. It would show you how far you could go with the amount of battery... Uh, and then Audi, I think they were the first to do it, took it to like the next stage where they made that little like uh, circle into like an amoeba because Audi actually took, uh, so what the, what the circle did was showing you how like far you could drive if you were to drive a straight line from your position. To, <laughs> but it was wrong. Well, because so what Audi did was <laughs> they took the topographical and information and, uh, and so then their circle looked like an amoeba because obviously if you're going uphill, you can't go quite as far as if you're going downhill or in a... Yeah, the, the circle was... I thought that was cool. I think everybody does a circle now. And then the nice ones, like the Taycan we were just in, also does a little blob where it will decrease the, uh, the blob depending on hills and stuff. Uh, but next up on the list... Can I tell you a story about the Nissan Leaf? <laughs> I know, I know. We could do this We've been as, here for 20 minutes. We could do this as a two-parter. No, it's a one-parter. We're getting through all of you it know today. What I did? Yeah. I'll, tell you, I'll make the story quick. It, right? when the Leaf... is, I can tell the story because I've heard the story so many times. All right, go for when it. When the Leaf launched, you wanted to go to the Kentucky bourbon plant where they built Jack Daniels. Jim Daniels. Jim Daniels. Jim Bean. I know. And it was 40 miles away, and you asked the Nissan people, hey, can I drive 40 miles? It was 65 miles? miles, which would have been... which. No, it was like it was like 65 miles there and back. And the Leafs, it would have been just within its range, or maybe like 40, 55 miles. It was just, and they said, no, absolutely not. Yeah, and the Nissan people were worried about you running out. Mm. Yeah. Which, which was a kind of a prelude to things to come with the Leaf. So the next car on our list, another Nissan, but this was a missed opportunity for a different reason, was the Xterra. So the Xterra died at exactly the wrong time before the explosion in the market of crossovers, SUVs, off-roaders, and overlanding adventure vehicles. And this is a missed opportunity. Um, I'm sure there were very good reasons why they killed it, but they kept the Frontier, which is essentially the same uh, car, yeah, yeah. Same, same version, going up until just last year. 
But they killed the Xterra in, what, 2014 or something, Yeah, they killed the pickup truck and got rid of the SUV. Yep, but the Xterra, if it was still around today, would be selling super well. Because look how well the 4Runners were selling. Even though the Xterra was old, it was very affordable, very good off-road, and super reliable. Yeah, the thing about the Xterra that, that it makes it such a missed opportunity, Tommy, is it takes a long time for the aftermarket to build uh, all the parts and all the community around the vehicle and the Xterra had that right they had this incredible loyal owner base they had an aftermarket uh, small compared to like a Wrangler but nevertheless it was there so you could customize it it was kind of going the route of the Wrangler uh, and Nissan without mercy just like you know cut the umbilical cord and said nope we're done with it, it had a cool name uh, you know it had a great reputation off-road it was really good it had that stadium seating you know we reviewed a bunch of them uh, and you know, because I think fuel economy, they decided to pull the plug just as overlanding was exploding and Jeep went from selling, you know, tens of thousands to hundreds of thousands of Wranglers a year. Uh, huge missed opportunity. Yeah, I, I, you're a thousand percent right. You could even get a Pro 4X model. Yeah. You remember the Pro 4X model? I remember this distinctly. I was like 13 years old. We had it on loan as a tester. It was bright blue, which was really cool. And it had these lights in the roof. Yeah. It had these off-road lights in the roof with these little plastic covers. I remember. And we yanked the plastic covers off, and we could not figure out for the life of us how to turn them on. Yeah. Um, but eventually we figured it out. Uh, you had to have the high beams on. Off. I think, oh, high beams on, I think. Yeah, because they were for off-road use only. only yeah. So they didn't want you blinding people on the road. So you turned on the high beams, and then you turned on the off-road lights. And it was just the coolest thing. I remember, or, like... Or was it the high beams had to be off? Well, it, was one of the, it was one of those two. I forget. Well, so my Mini's the same way. Yeah? Um, the Mini, to turn on the rally lights, the high beams have to be on. You mean the Mini you sold to Case? The, yeah, the Mini I sold to Case. My <laughs> X-Mini. So I think that's how it worked in the, the X-Terra. Okay. Um, yeah. And they didn't do anything off-road. They were, like, they would just... No, no. Compared to today's lights, they were still... <laughs> yeah. Like, um, two fireflies up there. Other thing about lights up on the roof is they always blind you. I mean, unless you have like a spotlight dialed in perfectly, it, it turns the windshield into a solar flare and then you can't see Yeah, it. That could be a Roman rant, right? Enough of the light bars above the A pillar, which is, you know, the pillar that goes um, in the front windshield because all it does is it just reflects off of the hood and you're right, it absolutely blinds you so you're almost like dry. You'd be better off just to turn off all lights. I did have that really cool Wrangler though. My first Wrangler yeah. was a 80 or a 95, so it was, it was a square headlight one. And I put those Casey Daylighters on that light bar above my windshield. Those looked so cool. They look cool, but you really want like lights either, yes. in, in, either you know where the winch lives, right above that maybe, or on the side of the car, right in front of the A-pillar in the corners where the no, rear they, mirrors. they were useless. But the best part about the daylighters is they had the little yellow smiley caps on them, yeah. and you could turn on the lights, and then they would glow yellow, yeah. and then people would, would, those caps would melt? smile and laugh. Yes, you couldn't do it for too long, or they would melt. Mm. And also, you couldn't go into parking garages. That was a real shame. I slammed them into turned a big frown. Yeah, I slammed them into a parking garage once, and they survived. They were really strong. So at this time, I'd like to take a quick break from our list yeah. and mention how you can support the podcast. So if you appreciate what we do, and this is a ton of work, um, check out our Patreon. So it's uh, patreon.com, and then the site is tflcar. Patreon.com slash TFLcar, um, and we are greatly appreciative of any of the donation levels. It really helps us keep this podcast alive. 
Because okay. believe it or not, it takes hours and hours and hours to edit them, especially if you're watching on YouTube. I've got some blazy fur in my nose, Tommy. It's driving me crazy. Blazy fur? Yeah, blazy fur. I got some blazy fur in my nose. I've got, I've got <laughs> this. I've got the sweatshirt on, and we've this Bernese Mountain Dog, and he's just sh- he's like a fur shedding machine. And now I've gotten some fur in my nose. Oh, that's a shame. Yeah, it's no good, dude. Yeah, he's, that's why I wear black all the time now. That's he, the only thing I can wear. He's a little fur ball. He is a fur ball. Um, so I also want to stop and do a little this date in history. All right. What's this? What happened in this state in history? I do like history a lot. So, 95 years ago today, on January 3rd, 1926, GM introduced the Pontiac brand. And then, 50 years later, <laughs> it went away. <laughs> so, this was a descendant of the Oakland Car Company. It went defunct in 2010, of course. However, do you miss Pontiac? I do. I wish they had gotten rid of Buick, honestly, and kept Pontiac. Pontiac was a performance <laughs> brand. How could you not miss, you know, the, the original GTO? Uh, the yes, for sure. They did kind of have some dark eras there, though. As we hit the '90s and the early 2000s, they had some questionable. Are you cars. talking about the Sunbird? You don't like the, the Sunbird? Sunbird was a classic example of oh, what, what I mean. you don't like the Pontiac Sunbird. Yeah, what, although the an underpowered convertible. The supercharged models they did, the little supercharged V6s they did for a while, those are pretty cool. Pray tell, you don't mean the Aztec. Uh, I do miss the Aztec, actually. Yeah, don't come at me about the Aztec. I do like me an Aztec. <laughs> um, no, I, but. Not only the Aztec, do you remember the Solstice? I remember the Solstice. Do you remember the turbocharged Solstice? I do. That Those are becoming very, like, with a certain crowd, very in right now. Do you remember the Pontiac Torrent? Do not remember yeah, the Torrent. Yeah, you don't want to remember the was Torrent. That a station wagon? <laughs> I don't know. It was this little. Was I think it was based on the Equinox. It was horrible. What was it? What was the Pontiac station wagon? Wasn't there a station wagon, too? Um, Back in the day, there was. How about a minivan? Was there a Pontiac I minivan? I think there was a Pontiac minivan. Yeah, the Torrent was a horrible car. Yeah. What is the Pontiac minivan? The Zoomster? Called? The Pontiac Zoomster? <laughs> oh, that's what it's called. The Montana. Oh, that's right. The Montana. Man, yeah. they built some boring that's a, that's a good name, though. Damn, the Montana. They had some other good names. The Pontiac Transport. That was another minivan. They should reuse the Montana. Like the Chevy Yellowstone. Wouldn't that be cool? They build a Chevy Montana. Yeah? Um, abroad, it's a little tiny pickup truck. It's called the Chevy Montana. Anyways, I thought that the history buffs among you would like to know that 95 years ago today, Pontiac was born. Very good. All right, let's keep going down the list. When, when's my rant? Your rant is coming up in five cars. All right, let's keep going then. So number 10 on our list is the Honda Passport Trail Sport. Yeah, uh, we, me and you went to look at it, uh, and then Nathan got to drive it. Uh, and basically what Honda, Honda, Honda did was uh, they uh, took a Passport and made it look off-road worthy without making it more off-road worthy. Yes, it was a real shame. So now there's like a big trend of off-road crossovers, right? Look yeah, the wilderness the, is a good example of that. Wilderness is a great example. Where Subaru, like Outback Wilderness or Forester Wilderness. You lift it and then you put on skid plates, maybe change the all-wheel drive system, big chunky tires. And Honda pretty much did a, just an appearance package. So the Trail Sport, I think, changed the wheels maybe. It gives you some... Stickers. Stickers, some orange stick stitching on the inside, but not much beyond that. Now, the interesting thing is when we went on the launch of the Trail Sport, they had one that looked really cool. It had like a two-inch lift. It had skid plates on it, and it, it was really mean. It had a spare tire carrier, and Honda was basically like, look, <laughs> hold on. We've got more coming. This this is this is more coming, right? So we're thinking, we're, we're speculating that maybe down the road we're going to see a true off-road version, but as it sits right now, the Trail Sport is just kind of... Eh. Really confounding because Honda does some of the best off-road 
side-by-sides, you know, I'm talking about, uh, you know, their motorsport division, of course, right, some of their best motorcycles, and yet somehow none of that DNA seems to translate into any of their cars, which is really weird because, like, off-roaders are just red-hot right now. Uh, and so they, like, tipped their hat to off-roading, but then they didn't actually do anything, you know, like, give it a low-range, Honda. You know how to build a low-range. There's got to be some low-range at some point that Honda's built, mm. right? Not just colors and stickers and... Uh, and all kinds of other stuff. Give it, give it a low range. Give I'm it not sure. Well, chunky tires. You can buy them anywhere. You can go to a local discount tire Honda. Get some chunky <laughs> tires. You can just get, partner with Bridgestone. Pick a company. They've never really done an off roader though. I mean, the original Passport was an Isuzu. Yeah, they partnered with Isuzu. Have, has Honda done an off roader? I'm trying to think if there's any. You know, the, the Isuzu Rodeo and the Honda were uh, Passport <coughs> were like twins, right? Yeah, you're exactly right. So the Isuzu Rodeo and the Passport were the same car. Um, and then the Ridgeline's never really been that much better off-road, right? Nope. Even the new one, the HPD, Honda Performance Development, right, is still more of an appearance package. Even yep. though it looks cool, it doesn't exactly, you know, bring it when it comes to real off-road uh, cred. So, yeah, it's uh, it's it's a baffler, Tommy. I don't know why Honda doesn't, like, get on their uh, motorsport division and rob them for some good ideas on how to make something that would truly be more than an appearance package. So the next car on our list, and this was a kind of a big disappointment for me because I am actually, surprisingly, the only 24-year-old that's really into the Lincoln Continental nameplate um, is the reboot of the Lincoln Continental, which happened a couple of years back. This was like a big deal for Lincoln because finally they got rid of the terrible three-letter MKXES, and the Continental just wasn't that cool. Yeah, I think I think all the livery companies in America were <laughs> anxiously swooning to get their hands on the next Continental, uh, and then when they got it, they were like, this thing is isn't much bigger than like a Fusion. Yeah, it was front-wheel drive. It was based on the Fusion. You remember the only cool thing about the Continental? Well, they did a special version of it. They did? That yeah. was a cool one with the coach doors in yeah. the back. Yeah, that was really cool. But the coolest thing about the Continental, and unfortunately the only cool thing, were the door handles. There was like this one piece of trim that continued along the whole side of the car, and the door handles were kind of hidden in that. But it didn't look that cool. It just wasn't a true German or um, a Japanese luxury car competitor. And it just... Yeah, and then they did something really weird, right? So they have they had they had two EcoBoosts. They had a 2.7, right, which was in the truck, and a 3.5, which was in the truck. Yep. And they decided to like make a three liter that would be exclusive to the Continental. Yeah, it was really weird. Why? Why not put the 3.5 and the 2.7? Why do you need to like split the difference? I mean, the the really tricky thing is when you look at like the vehicles that that are the signature in the brand, like the Jeep Wrangler. You've got the um, um, wow, why am I having so much? The Mini Cooper, right? The, the yeah. little Cooper. There's always a car that holds the brand DNA, the Porsche 911. And that was always the Continental. That was like the nameplate that meant a lot for Lincoln. And they brought it back and it was just kind of, eh. You know who got it right? Fisker. They just should have bought the freaking, the not the current Fisker, the previous well, Fisker. Fisker put the ones that burned down when, yeah, they, yeah, that when they got a little that bit wet. That, that, that thing, look, <laughs> what? a Continental has to have like road presence. That's what it's all about. It's about making a oh. statement and it's about being like, so the Japanese, of course, had this like magic ability with the Hondas, like Civic, to have a car that's bigger on the inside than on the outside. And Americans had the exact opposite magic, Tommy. They could take a car that's much bigger on the outside and make it tiny on the inside. And that was like cool because it showed that you had enough money to buy a land yacht and yet barely have enough room in the thing for you and your you know, wife or girlfriend. Forget about the kids. And, th and that's what the Fisker was, right? It was this massive car that had little tiny room inside, perfect. That should have been the Continental. So you want the Continental to be 
worse than the a Japanese karma. car. No, it's just different. It's just <laughs> American. I mean, at the worst, it's a triple a... XL with like medium at best interior. But that's just bad and lazy packaging. <laughs> no, it's not. It's, it's just it's just like, hey, we don't care. We have so much money and resources that we can squander them all on making this car no, huge it sounds on the like, outside. Hey, we couldn't figure out how to give this car any interior <laughs> volume. No, no, that's not what it's about. It was about showing off in a much more conspicuous consumption sort of way. Uh, I don't know. Th- Dad, the Fisker was a good-looking car, but it was, kind of, mustache. A, it was kind of a mess uh, for reliability well, standpoint. Well, it also had a GM engine in it, so that would have been awkward for I, Ford. And it had <laughs> defunct batteries, remember? A123 batteries. That was a defunct company now, so when they go bad, oh, my God. Um, yeah, so I think we're both in agreement, though. The Continental was the rebirth of a nameplate. I think it's dead, right? Didn't they discontinue it? I think it's it? dead, yeah. You know, I was just in one, though. This was the only... I only have one story about the Continental. Yeah. I was being driven around in one, yeah. as most people do. Yeah. I think it was a manufacturer trip, and, and they had one to take me to the program. And I was talking to the driver, and I looked at the odometer, and he had 283,000 miles on it. Wow. Pretty good. I mean... It only look, took, like... He said it took, like, five transmission rebuilds to get it to 280, but the engine was original. Look, let's face it. The Navigator is today's Continental, right? That's, mm, that's Yeah, that's the, a good point. And so that that's taken its place, and uh, sedans are dead, and even if you were to make this thing like a Fisker, eh, the Navigator would be the one that people would navigate to. So now for something completely different. Yeah. The Mazda Speed 3. Yeah. Yeah, what about the Mazda Speed 3? They uh, they killed it. <laughs> well, it was a couple generations ago they had this really insane hot hatch. Yeah. And it was totally overpowered. It had like... Worst had torque like steer ever. 240 horsepower in a front-wheel drive car, but it Functional was like... Functional hood scoop. Mid-2000s front-wheel drive car, so they hadn't figured out the handling or the dynamics. Every 16-year-old would have sold their mother to buy one. Yep, I think Zach was telling me they were known for blowing up. They didn't have a great reliability record, but partly because every single one of them had a coffee can exhaust and a turbo the size of an equator on there. Um, But when they came out with the new Mazda Turbo, right? You can buy a Mazda 3 Turbo. They have a lot of power. It's a lot better sorted, but they don't have the crazy flair that the Speed 3 has, and it's not called the Speed 3. I think that was a missed opportunity. You know what it's called? What? The Veloster N. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> Hyundai basically took that from them and ran with it, made a Veloster N, Elantra N, and now a Kona N. The, the thing about Mazda, though, is they had a whole line of speed cars. They had the Speed 3, they had the Speed 6. Yeah, Hyundai took it. They had the um, Miata Speed as well, which was insanely cool. It's a shame that they walked away from that. Yeah, I mean, how can you have horse and rider as one when the horse is slow, fat, and old? <laughs> sure. <laughs> All right. So number seven on our list. Do you get that? Do um, people, people get that or no? Um, I mean. So that's 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 like that's like Mazda's design language, right? Horse and rider as one. Oh, the is that the Kodo design language? It's not Kodo, but I I forget what the name of it is in Japanese. Okay. I just know what it stands for. Maybe it's Kazashi. <laughs> no, uh, that that's that's. That's smelly wind or something. <laughs> number seven. Hey, on do me a favor. Uh, do number seven. I'll talk about it. And Google Kazashi. I'm really curious what it means. All right. Number seven on the list yeah. is the all new, the reboot. I should say reboot. Just the redo of the Subaru WRX. Yeah. So people uh, are really grumpy. They're pretty cheesed about the new WRX. They feel like that they have put uh, too much cladding on the outside of it. The cladding doesn't bother me. What bothers me is, and, and this is, True for a lot of other cars. I kind of feel like, you know, we're entering the era of the electric car, and yet no one, Tommy, as of yet, has um, 
done an electric sports car, except for, of course, Tesla, which, you know, sold them to people for $250,000 and promised them like five years ago and uh, has yet to deliver. So uh, outside, oh, and of course there is a RIMAC too, which is also unobtainium. But why couldn't the WRX be all electric? And that could be said for a lot of the latest cars. The BRZ86 should have been all electric in my mind. And yet, you know, we're still waiting and we're probably gonna wait another five to 10 years before either of these two cars become completely electrified. So what does Kazashi mean? it means nothing what you thought it meant. No? It means a sign of great things to come. Ah, uh, no, I think that's wrong. No, it's true. <laughs> Suzuki Kazashi is a meaning which is a translation into sign. There you go. Kazashi in kanji is a Japanese word which means something great is coming, an omen, a sign, or a warning. The Kazashi was to be Suzuki's flagship sedan and exceeded Japanese government regulations concerning exterior dimensions and engine displacement for cars classified as compact. That's straight from the Wikipedia page. So now while you're looking it up to try to prove me wrong, <laughs> I'm going to talk about the WRX, and I don't think it should have been electric. I still think it should have been this crazy turbo all-wheel drive sedan that went when you uh, let off the turbo, but they just didn't make it fast enough on the new generation. So the new WRX is only like three or four horsepower more than the old one, and maybe the STI is going to be the, uh, the crazy one that hits 400, 500 horsepower, but the standard WRX, it looks like a Civic in the back. It's got cladding off the cross trick, and I don't understand it. So uh, horse and rider in one is Jinba Itai. That's right. Jinba Tai. Jinba Tai. Yeah, yeah, Jinba Tai. So uh, that's what I was looking up. I wanted to make sure. You didn't look up Kazashi? No, I, Your I believe you. Your mighty wind? No, I, 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 I believe you. I'm, <laughs> I'm not going to out Wikipedia wiki. Anyway, uh, so I was trying to get that right. Let's try to get our, let's try to get our facts right. All right, keep going. What's next? So Hyundai Kona N. Fantastic car. Yeah? You think there's a missed opportunity? Uh, well, okay. as much as I love it, I think it should have had all-wheel drive. Because good point. Yeah, I agree. The N-Line and the Hyundai lineup are great value, super fast, really fun to drive. You've got the Veloster, the Elantra, and now the Kona. The Kona's an SUV, but you can only get the Kona N in front-wheel drive. Yeah, um, I agree. Uh, maybe they should have made the Kona all-wheel drive. They've got the bits and pieces, of course. They certainly have the engineering talent. Uh, and then you'd be competing with cars like the Golf R, uh, right? And you could probably compete with them at a substantial lower price. Uh, and it makes sense. A crossover should be all-wheel drive. So, uh, yeah, good call. Okay, so before we get to our top five, I wrote down that you have a rant. What is what is the Roman oh, rant of oh, the oh, week? Oh, yeah, thanks for letting me do that. So recently, Tommy and I uh, purchased, I don't know if you know, if, by the way, um, if you want to get all this content in one place, go to uh, tfl-studios.com. Uh, you can download it as a little web app uh, to your phone, and that way you won't miss any of our uh, videos, stories, podcasts. Anyway, uh, we've been going to Longmont uh, to try to wash uh, the new Grand Cherokee that we bought. Uh, and we there's this on, um, is it Main Street or Hoover? I don't know. Anyway, there's this brand new car. Maybe it's been there a while. There's this beautiful car wash, uh, and it looks like it's very professional. And you know, we spend a lot of time washing cars. And for the most part, when we wash cars, right, we wash them by hand. So we go into one of those like stalls and we hose them off ourselves. Yeah, like the little squirter things. Yeah, but after ten years, that gets old. <laughs> but this car wash looks amazing. It looks like an LA car wash. Like, yeah, beautiful. It's full complex. It's got these uh, crazy arches with the hoses that have the vacuums in it. It's got the little washing team outside ready to help you. Yeah, it's like a whole washing complex. 
which is beautiful. And I'm thinking to myself, this would be a great place to take all of our cars so that we don't always have to run out and do our self-wash, which takes a lot of time when you're doing video production, when you have to go wash something. And this would be hopefully quicker and more convenient. So I pull in, uh, didn't even think about this time. I did not even think about it. Pay whatever it was, 15 bucks for the, or 20 bucks for the basic car wash. And then as I'm putting the wheel into that, you know, little chalk that then pulls your car through the car wash, I notice it's a touched car wash. How horrible is that? Mm. You know, where instead of having water squirt, you've got those horrible brush-like plastic or spongy like filaments that then go over your car and create these little swirls in your clear coat paint. It's for a car guy or gal, it's it's like watching, you know, somebody pull out um, fingernails. It's that tortuous and arduous of a process seeing that Greek Jeep get hammered by these like like plastic filaments that are just, just you know, just destroying the clear coat. Because what happens is, you know, little rocks and little pieces of sand get caught in them and then they just, you know, they, they whack your car and they, they put these swirls in your in your clear coat. It's, it's I, I, I was amazed. I didn't, it didn't even occur to me that you would have that kind of a car wash in 2022. Well, the interesting thing is, is this car wash is insanely busy. It's always got like a huge line of people outside. So we just assumed that it would have been popular because not only did it a good job, but I mean, I, I don't even think of touched car washes as being all that popular anymore, but apparently they still have a market. I, I thought they were done like 20 years ago. I thought people, all everybody out there was like, no, don't you dare whack this thing against my paint. And yet, you know, everybody's lining and people are lining up like crazy for this. Well, the one thing I will say about them, and I think the reason people like them is having that material on surface does get your car very clean. So sometimes the squirty ones don't get all the salt or all the road debris off, but the, the brushes do seem to do a good job of whacking your paint into submission. So um, I do see why like non-car people use them, but they are very bad for your car. Yeah. So then next time, right? Next time, Tommy's like, hey, I found this other car wash at the gas station where you can actually pick whether it's touched or touchless. Yes, and then I went there with my dad. We and went they, there with the Jeep again. Like, think, oh, we're not going to go back to that place because it's touched. So we're going to go to the touchless now, one. Now, this was just one of the ones that you get at a gas station where you drive through and it cleans it. And uh, we pull in, and it didn't give me the option. So now my dad thinks I'm over here like a liar, even though I swear two weeks ago it did. Um, so once again, <laughs> another touched car wash. But I just found one in Boulder. The Shell on whatever that is, 28th, yeah. had that option again. So I want to take you back and prove to you once and for that, all that you can do touchless. That you can do touched or touchless at the same touch car wash. Or, this should have like, do you want the touch one, the abrasive monster, <laughs> or do you want the one that will not get your car quite as clean but won't destroy your paint? If you're watching this on YouTube, please tell me someone else has seen this because I swear to... Um, anything that I was just there last week with my Wrangler and I went through it and I paid my 10 bucks and it had the big brushes and right before I went in and selected did you want to touch or touchless I clicked the touchless the brushes stayed um, tucked against the wall and it just squirted me down like just, a standard one in my mind you might as well just put you know a bunch of razor blades and run your car <laughs> through it that's that's what I see in my mind when I'm going through those hey I mean maybe there's a new set of brush technology that we've been missing it doesn't pick up like little because I, I do recall the the one in Longmont was interesting because most of the time they have like the little bristles right the little aggressive bristles that, that really dig in there the one at Longmont had these like little floppy plastic um, I don't want to say like little ploppy plastic things instead of the little bristles. So maybe those are better for your paint? I don't know. You don't think those can like pick up little bits of sand? And but they become, were smooth plastic. So I'd like, imagine... Like 200 grit 
<laughs> sandpaper. I, I mean, in my mind, because they were like smooth, shiny plastic bristles, I would imagine the sand would fall right out of them. It's funny, Tom. Yeah, we get a lot of people who want to work at TFL. Thank you. We love getting applications. And if, by the way, here, here, for all of you guys out there and gals listening, if you want to work here and you're asking what the qualifications are, uh, they do require a degree in journalism and video production background. Uh, as much as we love all of you listeners who sell cars and who manage fleets, um, we do require that you have some journalism background. Uh, so if you want to know what the number one thing you can do to become an automotive journalist, go to college and get a degree, I think, in, you know, in, in broadcast journalism, especially if you want to do you know, YouTube or TikTok or any kind of video production or get a degree in new media. Um, so anyway, um, also be prepared to spend a lot of time washing cars. Yes, that's true. I right, keep going down the list. All right. Um, number five on the list, yeah. and this was your idea, so I wrote it down. I have written down Cheap Mini. Cheap Mini. Yeah, Mini. So Mini moved, BMW moved the Mini brand upmarket. Um, and uh, I think, you know, what made the Mini so hugely popular and, and like the car that like the Rolling Stones, I think Mick Jagger owned, right, was that it was the car that... Uh, like anybody could buy. So back in the day, you know, a Mini was very affordable. Today, it's anything but that, right? They're they're premium cars that you can have like in any way that you want. You could customize them, but they're anything but affordable. So I think if you could actually build a Mini that would be in the let's say twenty thousand dollar range, realistically, right or less. So what would you say, just to play devil's advocate? The Mini folks would tell you, well, the Mini starts at like twenty grand, maybe just under nineteen nine. Yeah, but the problem is, no, no dealership ever specs those out. Right? Well, I so, mean, it's so easy they're to, not, not gettable. A lot of the times, you see like Cooper S's, even the standard Cooper S hatch, and they'll be in like the thirty-five, thirty-seven thousand dollar range. I think if you could build a, a, a cool, basic Mini in like the Versa. Like twelve thousand dollar range. Yeah, like in that range, then you'd have what was originally the spirit of the mini. Yeah, I agree. I think uh, it'd be cool. So uh, I, I don't know if BMW could make any money with that in today's world. Probably mm-hmm. not, but it would sell like hotcakes. Fantastic idea, and you'd have to still make it fun. Like you can buy cheap cars today. Like a Kia Rio yeah, is yeah. still a cheap car, but it's also like driving a toaster. Um, well, a lot of toaster talk today. Yeah, you, you could. That seems to be the theme. You could do. You could do a lot with design without having the expensive materials. You know what I'm saying? So give it, give it kind of the attitude and the design, but you don't have to have like the original mini. Even your mini, right? The dashboard is one giant piece of plastic. Sure. Right. There were like three gauges in the thing. Yeah. Yep. Right. I guess today you'd probably need a lot of airbags. Need four gauges. Yeah. But you, you don't have to have all the gauges. You don't have to have like it's an a, app that talks to the mini. It's tricky though because you need. I mean, not only do you need airbags, right? I mean, you have to meet crash safety requirements. You have to have crumple well, yeah, requirements. So that all is expensive. Emissions? Oh, what okay, a But get rid of all the infotainment. Or just use an iPhone. <laughs> what do you mean get rid of all just, the infotainment? Just use your, like, there's, there's your, there's your oh, infotainment. Just plop it in like an Emmy, right? Like the, the, the Citroen Emmy, where that this becomes your entire infotainment, entertainment uh, console. Uh, give it a key. Just a simple key. Would that be cool? Retro, a key, a regular hole for the key to go into. Okay, yep. You know what I'm saying, right? Yeah, it's an interesting idea. Maybe seats that actually, you know, aren't aren't super expensively covered in expensive leather, right? Maybe make some kind of a basic, like, vegan cover for it. Make it very uh, renewable. Like vinyl um, seats? Yeah, why not? That's I don't know, a, whatever that this is. This is a Tommy rant of the day. Yeah. All these companies that are like, look, we have um, non-animal leather. Yeah. Well, it's just vinyl. <laughs> it's been non-animal leather for the last hundred years. It's just vinyl. Yeah. Like it's not. It's not a huge marketing standpoint. 
That is the end of my rant. So number three on the list, actually, sorry, number four on the list is the Toyota FJ Cruiser. Yeah, just ditto to uh, what we said about the Xterra. Like Agreed. They, 2014, they pulled it at the wrong time. Way too early. Yeah. Just and now they're highly collectible. I know that Toyota just unveiled an electrified one uh, that they might or might not build. Right? They had this battery day kind of thing that they copied Tesla, where they showed you know whatever concept electric vehicle they had, and, and one of the coolest ones there was the FJ Electric. Uh, uh, and I hope they build it. That's all I got to say. But yeah, it was a missed opportunity. I know they have the Forerunner, but they keep like flushing some of their best brands, including the uh, uh, Land Cruiser. Uh, and I don't understand it, Tommy. So the other one I wanted to add quickly is the RAV4 TRD off-road. So there is a quote off-roady RAV4 TRD, but this is kind of my same issue I had with the Passport where they just didn't do enough to kind of make it off-roady. They gave it some cool wheels and tires and maybe it has like a skid plate and it's got TRD tuned shocks, whatever that means, but it needs a lift kit. It needs like a limited slip rear diff. Dare needs... I say low range? Oh, well, that's too far. That, you just <laughs> that's get a, one bridge too far. That's one bridge too far. Just get a 400 <laughs> at that point. But it would be cool to have like a lower first gear, you know, re retune the rear diff gearing. I, I, me, I'd make it all electric. <laughs> That has been your whole trend today. You like electrics. Yeah, man. yeah. Make it all electric. It, it, look, they're always looking for white space. How about an electric off-roader? Look, R Rivian has built, uh, as far as I know, 400 cars and has 70,000 reservations for an electric pickup truck that they can't seem to be built. Uh, uh, and yet Toyota, who could actually build it, seems to like walk away from that segment and keep you know doubling and tripling down on building the same thing they've been building for the last 20 years when the entire world is changing. So why not you know get ahead of the trend instead of being behind the trend? Well, this brings me to number three, which I wrote down because you wanted me to affordable EV. Yeah, somebody needs to build one of those. Like the once again, like the yeah. ME. Well, so, so the ME is a Citroen. You can buy in France. And the French have a special category of car where you don't have to have a driver's license. So if you're too young or too drunk, and I mean that because you've had your, <laughs> you've had your license pulled in France, you could buy this very uh, unusual class of car where it only goes like 25 kilometers. So it's called the voiture sans permis. And what that means is <laughs> very good topic. cars with no permits. Does it, does it mean like the mighty wind? <laughs> oh, wet. no, anyways. Horse and rider is one. <laughs> <laughs> They're called VSPs, and they've been around since like the 60s and 70s. And you're exactly right. They have a top speed. Of, they're limited to a top speed of like 25 miles an hour. You can drive them. You used to be able to drive them uh, when you were like 14. You could just get behind the wheel of one. They, they're really small. And oh, 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 now, speaking of toaster cars, this really is a toaster car. Yeah, it's it, a perfect cube. It's, it's just missing two slots. So <laughs> the uh, Citroen ME is, I mean, it's literally a square. It's all electric. It only goes like hey, 50 Stol kilometers. Stol Stolantis, you're supposed to have one. So Stolantis yeah. was supposed to have one. Nick, I'm talking to you, my man. You're supposed to have one in... Uh, uh, CES this week, right? Yeah, uh, I wanted to see it. And then I, I emailed my friend Nick at Stellantis, and I said, Nick, we'd love to drive this thing. And he said, it's going back to France. Um, Why? They've got enough of them over. They've they got enough in France, yeah. The car is like 4,000 euros. Just leave it here. I think if the you, company can take the blow of If you've already spent the money to get... You know, let me know, and me and Tommy will jump on a plane, fly to Detroit, go to Chelsea, right? Oh, yeah. I'd and, like to drive it around. Yeah, we'll drive it around, and we'll, you know, we'll show that Stellantis is in the forefront 
of electrification. Well, let's not get too ambitious and, with and, the forefront and, thing here. And they're busily working on ways to reduce their carbon footprint that they have with a lot of their Hellcat vehicles, which we love, by the way. But they're offsetting them with these new and cool cars like the Emmy. Just let us drive it. You can also lease an Emmy for like and film it. 30 euros a month or something. Yeah. It would never work here in the States, so let's be honest. It goes 25 miles an hour. I mean, it's like the French equivalent of like a side by side in America, right? Wait, right. That doesn't go off road. But that, like, but that's what it would be like, right? People would have it in like terrible like like people would have it like golf carts in retirement communities. They'd put around on them, or no. they would have it like in Moab oh and put around. Yeah, they would. I think people in France use them in like little teeny weeny villages just to get I'm, around. I'm to not the saying shops. it's a side by side. I'm saying it fills that kind of a niche, <laughs> like the French here. version of that. 200 horsepower Polaris S. Four horsepower Citroen, or an electric golf cart that they use in retirement communities. One of those two places <laughs> they would work in. Retirement community is not exactly a big car car culture for purchasing new new vehicles. There's a 300 million Americans, Tommy. A lot of them are retired. <laughs> yeah, it's you'll a bigger be there market. soon enough. It's a bigger market. Thank you. Than you think. <laughs> Any, anyway, you're already shopping for your golf anyway, cart. Is anyway, that anyway, you anyway Stellantis, you've got an image issue with your with your health. Catification of everything. Let us drive an Emmy and show just how forward-thinking and carbon-neutral the company can really be. When I, given I would like to drive it, it is very cool. So it's got the the front end and the back end are the same. Yeah, it's like one big cool. plastic square. But the back end has um, red headlights for brake lights. Yeah. The front end has clear. The doors are asymmetrical, right? They open one opens normally, the other one opens coach style because it's the same door assembly. Love it. It's a brilliant piece of engineering. Yeah, yeah well, I would I, like to drive it. Yeah, I, 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 you know, uh, we have yet to see anything cool out of the partnership, right? So we went from FCA to Stellantis. We have yet to see any, you know, and you know, everybody of course touts these partnerships as saving money and synergy and blah 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 blah. And yet when, you know, a year later, Uh, the guy who put it together has left the company, right? Yep. Mr. Manley is gone. Uh, now the head of Mike Manley, who used to run uh, FCA, is now the head of I think AutoNation, mm -hmm. right? Uh, he, he, you know, he took his parachute, deployed it, and left. Uh, and so, give us something that we can crow about, um, as opposed to you know just saying that Solanta sounds like a boner pill. So, um, which it does, by the way. Seven thousand dollars. I apologize. It is built in Morocco. It's got 43 miles of range. It's very cool. I think it's really cool. I would love to drive one. Yeah. Seven, uh, no, eight horsepower. Eight horsepower. Anyways, enough about the Emmy. Number two on the list. What is it? Um, this one's kind of a hot topic, and we haven't driven it. But you wanted it on the list. It's the Acura Integra. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> Whoa. Whoa. We don't know yet, so it's too early. This, this is a potential missed opportunity. If this comes across as nothing more than a rebadged Civic, right? Which it's looking like it could be. Like if there's no magic sauce that's sprinkled on this to make it. So your Tom, your mom had an Integra, right? Yeah. Uh, and back in the day, the Civic and the Integra were very far apart indeed. They were very different cars. And it, basically, if you uh, were young, like we were, and struggling, and you wanted to have like a near luxury car that you could afford, then you would get the Integra. Uh, Whereas the Civic was kind of the entry-level car. But if you just take a Civic and you rebrand it and stick an Acura badge on it and call it done, I think you're missing the magic sauce. I, I have um, a bit of shocking news to many. Right. Throughout much of its history, the Integra has typically been based on the Civic. I'm not saying, it's, I'm not saying <laughs> it hasn't been based on the Civic, but it was, it was far enough apart where, <laughs> where there wasn't, like, there was a very clear 
you wouldn't even think of the two in the same sentence. All right. But now I'm worried that it's basically going to be, you know, a a tarted up civic. I hate to use those words. But hasn't it? I mean, okay. We'll we'll have to wait and see. What's the magic sauce? Yeah, but the Integra typically is based on the civic SI. I mean, there's typically a lot in common between Integras and civic SIs if you go back in history. You got to do more than just, like, you know, put a necker badge. It's yellow. It looks kind of like it's, it's, it looks great. I think the design is good. It's finally got a manual transmission. Um, another car in the States with a manual transmission. Love that. It's also got four doors. Yeah, but they've had four-door Integras. Four-door Integras date back to like the 80s. They've always had four-door Integras. It's a cool thing. I'm okay. excited about right. it. Okay, number one, especially if it's... I hope you're right. I, especially I, I'm, if they I'm, do like look, a Type S version of Fast I'm rooting for the Integra. It's a cool car. It's a cool nameplate. I'm glad they didn't, you know, call it something like, you know, the 2564 GTXRT, you know, like everybody else is doing. So I'm glad they actually brought back a real name. And I hope, I hope it succeeds. I hope it flies off the shelves. Okay, I hope you're right, Dad. And number one on the list, probably the most disappointing automotive missed opportunity in recent years is the Chevy Blazer. Yeah, yeah. Instead of being a true Bronco fighter, right, body on frame, uh, they took the nameplate and they turned it into a little crossover uh, that is used for commuting and, you know, going to work uh, as opposed to climbing Mount Everest. It's a Camaro SUV, though, don't you know? I didn't know that. I, I, thought, <laughs> it was, I thought it was a little crossover. <laughs> you know what? We, me and Tommy were like... Uh, uh, sitting and looking at the back ends of crossovers. And, you know, I think as car guys and gals, you can probably tell, like, the light pattern at night so you know what car it is. With the crossovers, I can't tell. They're all identical. They are just the back end of any crossover, and there's probably two dozen of them or maybe even more. And they're so bland, so boring, so, like, uninspired. Uh, and it's a shame because once upon a time, the Blazer was, you know, uh, a roll up your sleeves, uh, let's go at it, Mr. Bronco, uh, VA powered, uh, we're going to, you know, kick some off-road butt or kick some on-road butt kind of vehicle. And now it's become just this little, it's good. I mean, the bra- look, the Blazer is good for what it is. But it could have been so much more. Well, the confusing thing is, right, is we often think of these OEMs like, I mean, they they do such a big surprise when they reveal a car, right? But the companies know exactly what's going on in every other company. The engineers talk to each other, and they know exactly what Ford's doing and what Chrysler's doing and and, and et cetera. Um, So they must have known that the Bronco was coming with the Bronco nameplate, and they they probably knew exactly what it was. And then they come out with this thing. Look, no one is begging their Ford dealer to sell them. I mean, their Chevy dealer to sell them uh, a Blazer. They do sell a ton of them. I will, I will but, but say the Blazer but, has been a big sales success. But, but, yeah, but there's no like, there's no like buzz around it. You know, there's no one that that's like refreshing their uh, web browser to see if their reservation for the new Bronco was actually accepted. Right? There's just, and, and at the end of the day, you can sell a lot of cars and still be a flop. There's a lot of vehicles that sold a lot of cars, but you know, could have been much, much more. Mm. Well, I, I, I think you're right, Dad. The Blazer was uh, an iconic nameplate, and now that we see the rebirth of... They, they could have called it anything else. The Bronco... They could have called it the Yellowstone, Tommy. Or, yeah, or the Montana. Or the Montana. There they could have called anything else but the Blazer. Why take this iconic nameplate and turn it into something... Well, so what do you think of the Trail Blazer? The little teeny-weeny guy. The three-cylinder Korean-built. I actually, contrary to most 
uh, opinions. I think the Trailblazer is is as good as a Renegade. It, yeah, the Trailblazer is surprisingly good. So people yeah. were upset because the old Trailblazer was this big straight six behemoth, and then they had the V8 models, which had three rows. The new Trailblazer is a little itty bitty tiny thing with the three cylinder engine, but it's a lot of fun, especially the active one. I, I think it's better than the Blazer. Whoa. I think if I were to have a choice between the Blazer and the Trailblazer, the one that's got more like uh, uh, personality by far is the Trailblazer. I like the little Trailblazer. It's yeah. a lot of fun, and it's yeah. um, pretty good interior. It's pretty good value. The active one isn't half bad off-road, too. You took it off-road. We did, you get we the little well. skid plate on yeah. it and the little yeah. off-road tires. Yeah. I mean, it's not a Wrangler, but it's... it's, well, it's um, like a Renegade. But the Blazer, they should have they should have come out of the gate screaming with uh, with an off-roader and not this on-roader. Nothing against the Blazer. It's fine. It's got a good V6. It's got a cool air vents. It looks pretty neat, but it just doesn't so, have the you know, blazer. G- GM had one of when they when they owned Hummer, right? They put together one of the best off-road engineering teams, and then they had to basically rebuild it for the new Hummer EV. But now that they've got the team back in place, why not take some of that hard-fought um, experience building the Hummer EV and actually put it into like a Raptor fighter? And then we're going into I know TFL uh, truck territory here right talking trucks i don't want to i don't want to i don't want to step on andre's toes but i just feel like gm really needs to take it up a notch or two in their off-roading right i mean they've got a couple of great off-roading trucks Uh, they've done some really cool things with their shock technology with the multimatics Uh, but uh, can you think of a car that has as much off-road tech that's GM brand. I can't think of one. No, I think you're right that it really Chevy, is a shame. Chevy doesn't have anything well, except for the trucks. Cadillac doesn't have anything. Like you, like you mentioned, I mean, Colorado ZR2 is a pretty amazing right. off-roader. I said a car. And the Silverado is also looking good. Car. And the Yukon AT4 and Silver... Or, um, they have a uh, Z71. Tahoe is okay. But it was we took it off-road. It was okay. It was okay. Yeah, it was I fine. I mean, it wasn't any better or worse than any other cars in that segment. Yeah, it may be a little better because it's got better tires and it had recovery points and it had that limited slip diff. You, you think it was better than like a, uh, an LX? No, but it's probably better than a... Um, right, which competes directly against probably it. probably better than like um, I mean, you're, an Expedition. I'd probably take it over an Expedition. Off-road, yeah. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. But no, so those are our top 15 automotive... Um, Missed opportunities. Missed opportunities. That's the word. Thank you, Dad. Uh, lots of toaster oven discussion today. I'm sure we'll get some interesting chat in the comment section if you're watching on YouTube. I'm an email from Tom saying, you owe me 3000 now. Also, yeah, exactly. <laughs> also, if you're listening on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, yeah. be sure to give us a like and leave a comment in the section um, where you can leave a review. That'd be really cool. What if um, they say we bicker too much? The, well, we do bicker too much, so that would be 100% right. But um, we're working on it, folks. We're, we're trying to fix the bickering. I'm really working on on agreeing more, so I do apologize about that. Yep, and remember, head on over this week. Uh, we're actually moving up uh, the truck podcast uh, to Wednesday morning. Usually it's on Friday. Oh, yeah? You know why that is, Tommy? Um, because Andre is going on vacation. It's not because Andre. It's because Andre is working harder than ever. Oh. There's the new electric Silverado coming. Uh, if you're listening to this today, it's coming this Wednesday. I want to say it's Wednesday morning is the is the embargo, uh, and we've got some exclusive content that Andre is going to dive deep into. Uh, by the way, you're not supposed to use deep dive; it's foreboding. It's one of those terms. No more. Well, we we had a good term for it. Everything you ever wanted to know. Yeah, that yeah. Was so so, so we're going to have some exclusive content. So we moved up his podcast to Wednesday morning to the deadline, so that you can learn everything about the new EV. Look, an EV Silverado comes around once, Tommy. 
right? Once. Maybe twice. There might be next generation. Well, no, no. Maybe first three time. Times. The first time. Well, the first time of anything by default comes and, up and once. Ne- and next time, there, you know, the fusion one comes up, I'm going to be long gone and you might be sitting there with, <laughs> with my grandson or granddaughter. Who we, knows? We will see, huh? Yeah, we'll see. All right, well, guys, guys. Thanks for watching. Remember, check out uh, TFL Talking Trucks podcast, uh, both on TFL Talk, our YouTube channel, and, of course, wherever you get your podcast. Uh, thank you for joining us. Yeah, and we'll see you next time. Ciao. Why pay more for a separate CoQ10 supplement? Enjoy twice the benefits with Super Beats Heart Choose Advanced from the number one doctor, pharmacist, and cardiologist recommended beat brand for heart health support. The new Super Beats Heart Choose Advanced by Human is now infused with CoQ10. That's essentially like getting CoQ10 for free. Our powerful blend of beetroot, grapeseed extract, and CoQ10 ingredients support nitric oxide production, healthy blood pressure, healthy CoQ10 levels, and heart-healthy energy with two tasty chews a day. Plus, Super Beats Heart Choose Advanced are plant-based, so you get heart-healthy energy without stimulants. For a limited time, get a free 30-day supply of Super Beats Heart Chews on all bundles and 15% off your first order by going to RadioBeats.com and using promo code DEAL. That's RadioBeats.com, code DEAL. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.